0: Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Julietta Televi. And taking your questions this evening are Jonathan Fisher from PSG Wealth, Grayston, and Ashraf Mohammed from Cornerpiece Capital. If you'd like to send questions to us, please SMS 41392, email stockwatch at or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag Stockwatch. Uh, Jonathan, Ashraf, good evening to you both. Ashraf, if I start with you, um, it wasn't a great finish for the JSE today, and it seemed to happen quite quickly, in fact, the declines that we saw on the overall market because... I don't know, at about half four, you know, we were down about 0.4% and then we closed well over 1% weaker. Uh, not a surprise, I guess, considering what happened to US markets on Friday, they closed 2.8% down, thanks to a strong jobs market. So we are just uh, in the vice of of... I guess the U.S. market and what happens to uh, U.S. interest rates, um, and you can see that I guess in, in the rand's performance. Is are we, yeah. we are we just being buffeted around by these particular tides?
1: Yeah, we are rowing boat in a <laughs> in a hurricane at the moment, and uh, it's something we just need to we need to accept. Um, you know, we were chatting off air about uh, the U.S. dollar and the strength in the dollar. Well, you know, part of the 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 reason for the strength in the dollar is that um, the U.S. has been very aggressive in raising rates. Um, They've gone from 25 basis points to to 3% in a very short space of time. And um, other central banks have not caught up to them. So if you look at the dollar index, it's up uh, 18% year on year. That's significant. Uh, currency moves are normally between 5 and 10% per annum.
0: Yeah, Jonathan, um, the, the article I was uh, mentioning to you both before we went on air was an FT piece wherein the writer says that uh, Joe Biden, the US president, needs to do something about the wrecking ball dollar. He says that countries should have a coordinated approach to sell dollars because the problem at the moment is that the dollar is strong and therefore it attracts more money so it's kind of a, it's the opposite of a vicious cycle in a way. Um, for those of us who might've thought about taking money offshore, do you just have to wait for this to kind of crack? I mean, presumably this is not an, an, um, an infinite or a, this is not going to be the dollar into perpetuity. Um, well, at least I hope not.
2: No, the dollar in my mind has always been the reserve currency. Um, and in times of uncertainty, People want certainty, so they go for the dollar. Um, you know, just putting your money in dollars and not doing anything with it over the past two or three years would have been the best investment ever, mm. or one of the best investments, um, because of what's going on. So, how do you encourage other banks, central banks, countries, or big corporates to sell dollar? You, you really can't. I mean, I think as Ashraf mentioned earlier if you're going to be raising interest rates continuously, that's going to encourage investors to um, take advantage of those higher dollar yields. Mm. Now, the only way other central banks can keep up with it is by doing the same, Mm. by raising rates at a similar rate to what the U.S. Fed's doing. Um, Ultimately, you know, that's going to, I guess, Um, have a negative impact on growth, uh, which is not the best thing. But I think really (laughs) what central bankers and the Fed are trying to do is really try and rein in this inflation problem. Rightly or wrongly, is is this the right tool? We don't know. But um, Mm. uh, it's a tough place to be in, you know, in terms of uh, currencies. All I can say is that the Rand actually, yes, it has weakened substantially in the last six weeks against the dollar but seems to be doing slightly better than some of the other emerging yeah. currencies.
0: Yeah, it's called comfort, but <laughs> comfort nonetheless. Um, and just, um, do you think uh, for both of you, Thursday is going to be pivotal? I think it's the inflation stats are out on, on Thursday. Ashraf, sure is everyone going to be gnawing their fingernails to see whether there's any dip in inflation
1: um, in the US? You know, the the expectation is that it's going to be you know, it's going to be slightly lower, but the quantum is is more the question um, on everyone's minds, and then what the core CPI number is as well. Um, the The oil price or fuel price has been coming down in the U.S. Um, gas prices are fairly stable at the moment, but it's uh, it's your wages, it's your expected rentals, etc. That those are the factors driving inflation right now.
0: Mm. Okay, well, we'll see what happens. Um, just getting to questions, a few has asked, and I suppose this pertains to what happens to interest rates and, um, and banks are actually doing quite well out of these high interest rates um, for now. Um, and the question is, with US banks reporting earnings this week, expectations are for weaker performances with poor guidance. How correlated in terms of valuation are our big four in relation to the big US banks? Um, Jonathan, what do you think?
2: So look, I think just taking a snapshot um, of where our banks sit from PEs and dividend yields relative to the U.S. banks, they're similar. Um, however, there's a big difference because our banks have actually been performing quite well from a operational and profitability perspective over the last 6 to 9 months, um, growing earnings anywhere between the high teens to the mid-20s. Part of that has been the unwinding of the um, the reserves that they've been that they that they kept in place on the balance sheet and unwinding that through the income statement. Mm. Um, so that has helped. Having said that, comparing it to the U.S. situation, it's been the opposite. So if you look at J.P. Morgan and Bank of America's results for the last two quarters, their headline earnings per share have actually decreased substantially. Um, And so the the headline earnings, yes, have decreased substantially. And one can actually see this in the charts. So if you look at charts of one-year charts of those two American banks that I just mentioned, it's a one-way traffic, you know, from peaks of a year ago, all the way down to one-year lows. Whereas our banks are mixed, Um, Mm. some trending downwards, some trending upwards. so
0: that's sideways. a long
2: answer to the correlation <laughs> uh, question that came through. Maybe they're not on, they aren't so correlated with the US banks. Yeah.
0: Uh, Ashraf, would you agree, and do you think that's fair, that you know, South African banks are reflect uniquely South African conditions, and that's how it should be?
1: Absolutely, it does. Um, and I think uh, South African banks are going to struggle with, with earnings growth over the next uh, two years. Jonathan mentioned you know they've used the the uh, the buffers of the reserves um, but lending growth has been poor and they're going to have to make provisions again because South Africa is definitely going to be in a recession it will be a mild recession but a recession nonetheless
0: and do you argue that because of ESCOM because of what's happened to commodity prices in the last couple of months
1: so primarily S-com, um and then the the cost of goods. Um, yeah. Salaries have gone up by CPI, but we all know food costs, fuel costs, um, you know, debt funding costs have all gone up significantly more. So there's been a squeeze on households and demand will definitely come off.
0: Mm. Um, Ashraf, I mean, to the point, I'll, I'll go to Jonathan maybe uh, chip in here. Um. Uh, th- on the point of raising further provisions, there has been some, I suppose, um, dismay with the banks in not releasing all the provisions that they raise against COVID in terms of dividends. Only a couple have been maybe more generous. And there's been some mutterings that uh, the South African banks have kept money aside to kind of smooth out earnings over the next couple of years. Do you think that is gonna be the case? Um, Or, uh, you know, uh, yeah. So do you think the earnings might actually come out as better than expected because they've kept provisions back? Or do you think actually they're going to have to raise more provisions, even having released provisions and maybe not all of them, because of the economic situation? I don't know. Let me go to you first, Jonathan, and we'll go back to you, Ashraf.
2: So it's not uncommon for big financial services companies to to hold back some extra cash in the kitty uh, for bad times. And in this case, as you've said, um, the big provisions was the COVID um, situation. So, yes, there's been criticism um, why they have been released in at a, a quicker pace, but I guess the banks have just been prudent. Hmm. Um, those provisions will run out in, in due course, whether it's in the next six months or next 12 months, generally. Um, but what happens with household disposable income and demand for banking products, you know, I guess uh, the, the jury's out, but it's not looking too good. And maybe it, it hasn't been a bad thing that they didn't release their provisions all at once or in a shorter space of time for that reason.
0: Yeah, let it not be said that South African banks are not conservative in their approach <laughs> to dealing with their balance sheets. Um, so, just to my question, um, do you think they're actually going to have to raise further provisions or do you think? They're just going to be canny in kind of using what they have, and 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 in, in, when, when it comes to delivering the results of the next two years.
1: I think they they will be very canny. Um, they are they are one or two in the corporate sector, one or two bombs that could go off if we get interest rates increase, you know, increase by another two percent, um, but. Outside of that, I think, uh, you know, the, the provisions are sufficient right now and uh, they'll manage to get through whatever whatever hits them.
0: Mm, okay. Um, I, I'm gonna go to the, the next question that we have after the break. So maybe I can just ask you um, about some of the trading updates that came out today. Jonathan, Sappy came out with a a good trading update. SAPI is really, it's just bombs away for this company. The shares were up, I think, 9% at one point, maybe closed about 7 or 8% stronger. Were you, as in pre, I mean, the market seemed to be really quite gratified by, by the kind of performances that they're putting out.
1: Yeah,
2: it's interesting because this was an update for the fourth quarter. In the third quarter, they came out with an update Um basically warning the market that they're concerned about costs and gas prices or cost pressure um, going to affect EBITDA negatively. Having said that, um, now in this trading update, um, they say that the European gas price reduction has resulted in um, a strong fourth quarter EBITDA forecast. Um, and the market loved that. I mean, the shares were up 7 or 8% today. Um, so it's nice to see a positive trading update like that coming through from, from a company like SAPI mm. when we thought it was going to go the other way. And actually that positively impacted um, Mondi PLC um, to a similar vein, but not to the same extent. Yeah. So nice to see that from SAPI.
0: Ashraf, on this basis that you you're starting to see really sustained performances from SAPI, which always had a quarter and then you would take a step back and it was always very hard to see where SAPI might go that actually they're proving themselves finally that you i mean would it encourage you to buy the shares
1: um i the business is, has been pivoting for for the last uh, few years so changing the their areas of focus in the you know and trying to to drive up that EBITDA margin but um the other thing the other significant move today for me was the fact that they were buying back their debt um and i think that would have given you know really a lot of comfort to equity shareholders because it does uh, it does take out the risk on that mm. particular company
0: yeah jonathan uh, i said one of the questions that came through um was a nice one to chat around and it refers specifically to Jean-Pierre uh, um appearance on Thursday night and the viewer says uh, Jean-Pierre said he prefers picking individual stocks rather than an index uh, ETF, like the NASDAQ, et cetera, uh, because the ETF includes both good and bad stocks. But surely he can't just pick good individual stocks, otherwise he has mastered investing. Well, I suppose that's what um, anyone who is an active manager hopes that they have done is master investing. And, uh, and unfortunately, Jean-Pierre um, isn't on the show this evening to answer to this, but I'll uh, send it uh, to, to the crew so that he can actually talk to this. But. Um, Jonathan, the point is, you would be very lucky, anyone would be very lucky to take, say, 20 shares and each of them be winners. I mean, that's just about impossible.
2: Yeah. Look, um, arguably, you know, who could be the best stock because in this day and age, you know, one can talk about Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, um, and many others, but it's very difficult. I guess it's a lot easier in a bull market um, to get A strong percentage of your 20 stocks, you know, as growth shares or not growth shares, but decent growth in terms of capital and dividends. But in a market like this, it's very difficult to pick winners all the time. Um, You know, we say that if you can get about 60, 65% of your calls right over the long term, you're doing pretty okay or pretty well. Um, But as I mentioned, it's very difficult in this market to be doing something like that. So, you know, everyone tries, we all try to do our research as diligently as possible um, based on the information that's out there and apply it to um, choosing various shares in various industries that we think are trading below intrinsic value based on certain assumptions. But, you know, you don't always get it right. Um, So, the viewer is right. You can't get all your calls right, but you certainly want to get more than fifty percent and closer to sixty or seventy percent. Mm. But it's not easy.
0: Ashraf, I mean, Jonathan says it's a difficult market to be picking shares. Is this not, however, the market in which you theoretically should be picking shares? <laughs> it's, I mean, you- I, yeah. I mean, rather than and and buying an ETF where. Um, if the mood and if the sentiment in the market is generally negative, then buying the market through an ETF surely is kind of the fastest way to lose money rather than trying to find the shares that you think are actually going to do okay.
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's about the market in, under these circumstances, it's about, it's about buying quality. It's about buying, you know, earning certainty, et cetera. So, um, as someone said on one of my weekend readings, the, um, the shift has gone from growth to value. The the momentum is out of the market when it comes to to the growth stocks, and it's now become a stock pickers' market rather than a um, an index traders' market. So. A lot of and here's the years the scary part is that over the past decade, a lot of pension funds have swung into buying um, index uh, index ETFs, um, and a lot of the the asset consultants have been critical of fund managers because you know it's very hard to beat the index. But when most of the money is going into the index, mm. it's always going to be hard for a stock picker to beat the index. Under these circumstances, it becomes a lot easier for a for a stock picker to do so. And John Pierce is one of those. He is mm. a stock picker, mm. so um, you know he will always look to buy individual quality um, stocks.
0: Yeah, which implies a hell of a lot of homework. So if you're a retail investor and you want to do it yourself, then you have to spend the time, and then you've got to take the losses on the chin. Which is why m- most of us will have some sort of ETF. Exposure in our portfolios because we want the market we don 't have the time to look at shares all day um, you know th- so I suppose it 's kind of an endless argument but um, but I guess the reality is that no one's ever going to get 100% uh, anything 100% right, at uh, least of all, in, in <laughs> something as <laughs> as emotional as the stock market. Um, moving on, there was question, uh, persistent questions, actually, on RSA retail bonds. Um, the, the question is, are they a good buy? And if so, which one? Um, I, I don't know if the viewer is referring to the two, three, or the five-year bond. I mean, they all have different rates. Jonathan... Would you be buying any of those at the moment? Because the rates are pretty decent.
2: Yeah, so, so the rates are pretty good. I don't follow that bond market too closely. Um, you know, if, if I'm looking for a bond for a client or some exposure to that part of the market, I typically go for an ETF. Um, and the one that, I, that I'm invested in or invest in, if there's a requirement for it, would be the Satrix Gavi bond, which is... Pretty much um, an ETF encompassing various dated bonds, um, and it's a nice mix with different exposures. So, you don't have one particular exposure to one um, corporate or to one um, government institution. Um, so, so that's how I would play it.
0: But, but there is a risk that you might lose some capital if Correct. the bond market swings against you, which is not what will happen if you buy an RSA retail savings bond?
2: Not really. I mean, you know, we've actually seen it come off over the last six weeks. I guess possibly as interest rates have moved up, price of the bonds come down a bit. um, Mm. But investors need to know that there are those risks. Certain investors think, oh, bonds are so safe. Actually, Mm. they're not as safe as you might think, Mm. especially in this market. I think bonds have actually been knocked generally uh, across the board, similar to equities.
0: Ashraf, your thoughts on um, an rSA retail uh, government bond at this point in time?
1: Uh, Julieta i would uh, I would go and buy the eTF with a two year view because um, you know we discussed the interest rates uh, cycle earlier. I think the interest rate cycle globally peaks in the second quarter of of next year and then um, trends lower so and you know just as as Jonathan has mentioned the prices do do come down. As yields come down, the prices go up. Mm. Um, and I'm looking at South African bonds and I'm looking at, um, at U.S. bonds and saying they are looking cheap on a relative basis and they may get a little bit cheaper before I get into them, but I'm watching them very, very closely. And... Um, you know, my fund is an absolute return fund and my allocation to to fixed income at this point in time is 65%. Sure,
0: okay. Okay, so. that's pretty high. Yeah.
1: yeah, so I'm taking a two-year view and saying, I'm going to benefit from such a high allocation.
0: Okay, Okay. thanks. Um, th- there's a question on, I don't know if either of you follow um, Old Mutual and the Butler, uh, uh, the Bula Tesla offer, which is the, the newbie offer. Um, the question is, please can you explain this old mutual offer in simple terms, especially the 46 rand portion. How is this portion funded from dividends, but they state dividends will be paid out. Has anyone followed this? Because I confess that uh, I have not and uh, have, have no feeling for this question Ashraf, I don't know if sticking with you, if this is something that you are.
1: On top I, of. I don't. I haven't followed that uh, because I think Old Mutual is an ex-growth company, so taking a, a five-year view on it is not, um, you know, is not in my ambit. But uh, what I will say is, a lot of the um, the unfunded portion is is funded by debt, and it's normally linked to um, to prime, so it is it has a creeping effect um, and so you've got to hope that the share price um, grows at least 10% per annum for hmm. you to to be winning.
0: I mean, Jonathan, that's quite a fundamental point, isn't it? Is that while, um, while you are, I suppose, being encouraged to invest in the company, at maybe a, a preferential rate or um, in a preferential way, shall I say, um, you know, in order to, to, to address the the, imba- the injustices of the past, you've got to pick the right company because, you know, it might be a, a great BE offer, but, but if the, the underlying company's prospects aren't particularly sound, then, uh, you know, I mean, we saw the the case with Sassel. People were underwater for years on, on the sassel B deal. Um, I, I mean, would you even look at Old Mutual if 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 you were eligible oh, to take up this offer?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm so similar to Ashraf. Not crazy about it. So, sorry, let me understand this. I haven't followed this BE transaction. Is it a is it a case where BE shareholders are being offered to take up shares? at a lower rate in the market price and they're locked in for a period. I'm guessing that's what it is. Um, if that is the case, like you say, look at the company itself and see, is it worth investing just normally? Um, in the last set of numbers for the half year, actually, they didn't do great. Headline earnings were all negative, I think down 7%, um, if I'm not mistaken. Not yeah. mistaken. Um, so, you know, one could rather say, hold on, Yes, I'm getting shares at a discount if that is the case. However, let's rather look for something else that's got better fundamental long-term value going forward.
0: Yeah, okay, all right. So um, so apologies to the viewer if if none of us are particularly on top of this. Ashraf, I'm going to get to your stock picks this evening and give you a little bit more time. Um, what would you be buying What in, in a market so, as, as fraught and fractious and fragile as the one that we happen to be in?
1: Yeah, so so my stock pick for this evening is uh, Aspen Pharmacare. It's come off significantly and that's partly because of its, its exposure to, to Russia and um, the uh, poor cash conversion at, during the last set of results to June um my expectation is that um, they will they will turn they will turn things around EBITDA margin is still about 28 percent which is which is very healthy um, they bought a lot of stock ahead of that uh, that June period hmm. and that's why the 81 percent cash conversion that's going to go back to over hundred percent they've okay. cut debt significantly um, so to me this is a business that has basically base forming Mm. and uh, will show earnings growth over the next uh, two to three years.
0: Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, Jonathan, how about you?
1: Okay. So, I'm going to go for a company
2: that I think most of the viewers know. It's called NTN. Um, They trade just below 120 Rand. They're not expensive. They trade on a PE multiple of 10 times dividend yield, 2.5%. Their full year numbers for December 21 were excellent. Um, and then again, the six month numbers that came out for June were also very good. Um, the EBITDA increased by 13.7%, headline earnings per share up 46%, and they reduced their debt um, to 28.4 billion from just over 30 billion, um, improving their leverage to 0.8 times from one times. Mm. Return on equity up 24%, subscribers increasing by 5.5%. And um, the CEO, Mr. Ralph McPeter, he did say in the results that he's quite upbeat about the ability for the company to achieve at least mid-teens in group service revenue, which is quite something for a a big company like this. And also to maintain a uh, leverage below one point five times. Um, we we've looked at this and our analysts have got an intrinsic value um of two hundred and eighteen Rand on okay. the company um based on some of the parts and an enterprise value a multiple of five point five times. Okay. So now if great only the business. market
0: would take notice and pay attention to your analysts. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Jonathan, Ashraf, sure sorry, we have to leave it there. Thank you very much for joining us this evening. Uh, Jonathan Fisher is from PSG Wells, Santon Grayson. Ashraf muhammad is from Corner Peace Capital. And Zanati's back with Stockwatch tomorrow night. Same time, same place. Have a good evening.